Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So I've mentioned in the past that the school that I went to in my hometown was owned by a ministry called the Big Oak Ranch. It was a home for troubled children, boys and girls, that often did not have a mother or a father or either. And I remember there was this one particular boy that came to the ranch, came from a very troubled background, a very difficult background, and he decided to come out for the football team. And I I really liked him, kind of took him under my wing. I was a senior. He was a freshman. I was trying to help him, get him adjusted to playing football. And I remember our first game, and it was midway through the first quarter, and he played, I think, on kickoff return and kickoff. And I just remembered thinking that he had done a a good job. And I I was proud of him. And I remember going to the sidelines, and he was off to himself. Now, when you live at the ranch, you have a house mother and a house father. You live in a home with six to seven other boys or girls. And as I'm walking over to him, I see his house father just in pure delight. And I I knew him pretty well. I knew several other boys in the home. I had been around him many times, wonderful man. And as I come to the boy, I see underneath his helmet that he's crying. And I couldn't imagine what could be wrong because I thought that he had performed pretty well in his first game. And I look at him and I I ask him what was the issue, how could I help him? it wasn't tears of regret. It wasn't, you know, tears regarding awful performance. He looked at me and he said, Hunter, I've never had a dad watch me play anything in my life. I've never had parents at a game and cheering me on and encouraging me. I've never experienced this before. And I patted him on the shoulder and, and walked away. And something that you know I could not fully understand. As we come to Psalm 1 this morning, we have similar imagery. We have a king, and his name is Yahweh. And he sits on his throne. And he is our father. And he loves us. And he roots for us. He cheers us on. And he is watching over us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. It is powerful. It is incredible. Through it, you change us. Father, change us this morning. Draw us closer to yourself. Forgive the one who speaks, for my sins are great. Set me aside as you speak, and you only this morning. Amen. So we have begun a study of the Psalms, and we're looking at the first Psalm. And I think it's important 
in the beginning that we do a who, what, when, where, and why. We did this with the Gospel of Mark. I will not continue to do this as we walk through the Psalms, but I think it's important in the beginning to help us get situated in the passage and to understand this important book in the Old Testament. Who? Who wrote the Psalms? Well, Moses, David, Solomon. We're familiar with those big names. Moses, David, and Solomon. There are psalms attributed to them. But also the sons of Korah and Asaph, and Ethan the Ezraite, and then many of the psalms have no author that we know of. We do not know who wrote the psalm. So that's the who, what. Well, first of all, it is Hebrew poetry. You have to understand the psalms as Hebrew poetic literature. And we'll get into more of that as we go on this journey because there are some fascinating and interesting things that you need to know regarding what this poetry means for the reading of the chapter. Secondly, it is the hymn book for the nation of Israel. We have our blue books that we sing music out of. The Psalms are the hymn book for the people of Israel and the people of God, for us as well. Who, what, when? Well, the Psalms span a long period of time. It is from the age of Moses to after the exile in Babylon. So the book of Psalms covers a big majority of the Old Testament in terms of a timeline. Where? Who, what, when, and where? Well, the Psalms are for the public worship of God. That when the people of God gather before Yahweh, before our King, that we have this great and this wonderful book whereby we can worship Him, not only daily in our journey and our walk with the Lord, but corporately as God's people. And then why? Why? Because the Lord reigns over His people and we can always trust in Him. That is a major theme that you're going to see throughout this book. The Lord as King, as Yahweh reigns over His people, and we can always trust in Him. You will see this sprinkled throughout the Psalms. Now, there are six genres that are covered throughout the Psalms, and they are as follows. Praise, laments, Thanksgiving, trust, kingship, and wisdom. Let me say that again. Praise, lament, thanksgiving, trust, kingship, and wisdom. Now, we are God's people. And we live on the other side of the cross from when this was written. And so I think as we journey through this book, it's important that we always remember Luke 24-44. It's an important anchor for us as we see these passages unfold. Here's what the Gospel of Luke says in 24-44. This is Jesus speaking. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
So on this side of the cross, we understand, according to the Gospels, that the Psalms are all about Jesus. So as we come to Psalms of thanksgiving and praise and lament, we are going to be driven to Christ. We are going to see Him in the Old Testament. And so we begin with Psalm 1. This is a wisdom psalm. There are not many wisdom psalms. But this is one of them. And this is an important introduction to the rest of the Psalms. This is the entryway. This is the beginning. A couple weeks ago, John Hunter and I were in St. Louis. We went on a special end of the year trip. And our hotel room was almost underneath the arch. You could look out the window and it just filled up most of our view. And to stand there and to see this gigantic structure was impressive and unbelievable. And if you remember my sermon from several weeks ago about Ruby Falls, you will know that I did not get in the elevator and go to the very top and look out the windows. I stayed on the ground looking up. But the arch is representative of St. Louis being a jumping off point for westward expansion, for people going out west and seeing the rest of this great country. And that is Psalms 1. It is the jumping off point, the entryway to the rest of this marvelous book. And so as we look at the verses before us, I think one of the things that we see is that the psalmist is telling us that we have a sovereign king who is to be trusted. Believe in Him. Place your, pla pla place your faith in Him. He created all things. He is the victor of the creation account where from nothing He brings everything. He is the God of the Exodus who has redeemed Israel from slavery. He has brought them to the promised land. He is the God who has established for the Israelites the covenant with Moses. You are my people. I have sought you out. I have redeemed you. I'm placing my love upon you. And this is the God of David. The Davidic King. The, the mighty ruler. The man after God's own heart. And God promises that a descendant of David will rule on the throne forevermore. And we know who that is. And so we think about these things in terms of God when we come to Psalm 1. He is trustworthy. He is saying to Israel, listen to me. Believe me. Blessing comes from delighting in my law, from meditating on my word continually. This is wisdom. I am your sovereign king. I've done great and wonderful things for you. Here are my edicts. Believe in them and follow them. Meditate on them. Digest them. Delight in them. Because they are the proper way. I know what is best. And if you will hear me and you will follow me as my people, I will bless you. I will bless you. I will make you prosper like a tree planted by the river. A tree 
that has an inexhaustible source of nutrition. Like a mighty oak that the Psalms refers to in other chapters. God is calling us and encouraging us to listen to Him, to believe Him, and to place our trust in Him because of who He is and what He has done for us. Reed often tells me that he goes to YouTube to find the answers to problems. And Reed and I are a different generation. So I don't automatically think about jumping on YouTube to figure something out. You know, I'm still looking, I'm still reading books. Still trying to figure out things from books. Well, I had a problem this week. I had a big problem. And I thought, WWRD, what would Reed do? And I knew he would go to YouTube. And my problem was very specific and very difficult and very challenging. And I thought, there is no way that there's anything on YouTube about this. So I hop on the Google machine, I go to YouTube, I type it in, and lo and behold, there is a super enthusiastic guy in Wisconsin that has the same problem, the same issue. And I watch the video, and after about five minutes, I stop and I think, well, you know, that might work. That might be the solution. So I dig into the riding mower, and lo and behold, his word was true. Thank you, Reed. And I realize as, I'm, as I hear my lawnmower roared alive that this is like the Word of God. God is enthusiastic about His people listening to Him. And He's telling us there are solutions in His Word that will help us prosper whereby we will be blessed and how often I fail to think that through thoroughly. How often I fail to delight in the Word of God. How often I forget to go to Scripture in order to be blessed and challenged and encouraged and fed. But you need to know that we have to understand Psalm 1 in context. That there is an, es- an eschatological note here. Now that's a big word. It means in times view. Because if you pluck Psalm 1 out of the rest of the book, you're going to think, well, if I just listen to the Word of God and obey the Word of God, that I am going to be blessed and I'm going to prosper and everything is going to go my way. Well, I can tell you emphatically over the last two years of our life, planting this church through COVID and family issues and and sickness, that that's not true. That's not true. That this life, because of sin, because of the fallen state in which we dwell, that life is hard. Life is not always fair. The rest of the book of Psalms mentions that that life is difficult. 
and that there are evil people who prosper. Lord, why? Lord, why do people who do not listen to You and who do not follow You, who do not care anything about You, why are they prosperous? This is mentioned in the rest of Psalm. So we need to understand chapter 1 in the full context of the book. So look at verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let me translate the first part of verse 6 for you. The Lord watches over His covenant people. The Lord watches over His covenant people. That when we are rooted in His Word, when we are seeking after Him, when we are obeying His Word, we can know that in Christ, He is watching over us. We are His covenant people. He is our covenant King. We have a relationship with Him through our covenant Lord. That He cares for us. That He's sitting in the stands cheering us on. And so, we may fumble the ball. We may miss a tackle. Things in this life may be challenging. They may be difficult. But what Psalm 1 is telling us in light of the rest of the Psalms is that God has us and He's going to deliver us and He is going to perfect us. God has us. He is going to deliver us and that He is going to perfect us. Yes, it's not going to be easy at times, but He is with us, we will be ultimately delivered and saved and redeemed by our King. Secondly, I want us to look at verses 4-6. through six. The wicked are not so, but are like shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So I'm thinking through the first part of Psalm 1, and I'm thinking about God as our King, God ruling from His throne, our covenant Lord, that He watches over His people, that He is doing what is best for us, that He will deliver us ultimately, and that we are reminded of these blessings and this salvation and this deliverance from His Word, and that the Word navigates for us the path that we should seek in order to see Jesus more clearly, because Jesus has said, I'm there, I'm here, I'm in the Psalms. See me for all that I'm worth. And that's really encouraging to me. And then I get to this part and I think about sinners and the congregation of the righteous and judgment. So we have a problem. Because Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So how can the Lord bless us through His Word How can the Lord deliver us? How can He redeem us? When we are sinful, when we are, as Paul says, wicked, strong word, but true, sinful, wicked, broken. 
we are going to be judged. And according to my sin, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good at all. So what is, how do we deal with verses 4 through 6? How do we handle this? How do we navigate this? There again, we go back to Luke chapter 24, verses 44. We go back to Jesus. We go back to our Messiah. We go back to the greater King David. We go back to the greater Moses. We go back to the one who was there at creation. And he says, look for me in this book. Remember who I am and what I have done. And go to the cross. Because we are sinners who deserve judgment. And so what happens on the cross? Our judgment is placed upon Jesus. It's given to Him. And He takes it. And because of that, we are made righteous. Remember, in Psalm chapter 1, the psalmist is saying, obey the Word of God and you will be blessed. Jesus obeyed it perfectly. And so He receives all the blessings of the covenant. And through faith, He gives them to us. And what are some of those blessings? Forgiveness of sins amongst many. That Jesus wipes our sins away. He takes our judgment. He gives us His righteousness. And God the Father accepts us and loves us because of that. And this was all orchestrated before the foundation of the world because God loved us. And because of this, we are prosperous. We talked about this in the Gospel of Mark and the coming of the kingdom. I would say that we are prosperous now because we have forgiveness and we have salvation and we have the Holy Spirit helping us and comforting us. But we also have each other. Brothers and sisters in Christ. You are an encouragement to me. I'm excited on Sunday mornings knowing that I get to come to this place and I get to spend time with you. You are an encouragement to me as brothers and sisters in the family of God. There are many blessings that come to us in the here and now. We are prosperous. But guess what? when the kingdom comes in all its fullness, when there is a new heaven and a new earth, we will be prosperous beyond our wildest imagination. And I don't mean that we'll have the finest cars and the biggest houses. What I mean is that we will dwell in the presence of our Savior without sin. I can't even wrap my mind around that. But that belongs to us as God's people. I love the fact that the psalmist tells us that our King, our covenant God, watches over us. What an encouragement to my soul. That He is there and I am here and He loves me and that He cares about me and that His eye is ever on me 
and that He desires what's best for me and that when the challenges of this life come and they seem overwhelming and I feel like I am drowning, He is a refuge. He is a place that I can go to find comfort and safety. That He is with me till the very end. That I am His child and I'm out on the field playing and He's my house dad looking over me. What great news. What unbelievable great news. And there's there's even more great news. That you have a place at the table. Now, this is not the table when the kingdom comes in all its fullness. This is just a small replica, if you will. These are simply a taste of the fullness of the blessings and the bounty that is to come. Jesus knows that we needed to not only be reminded through the Word, but we needed to also be reminded in such a way that we taste and touch and smell and feel His goodness. I want to remind you that I am the God who watches over you and that one day you will dwell with me forever. You have a place at my table. So this morning we are going to come and be reminded of that. This table is not Trinity's table. This is for anyone who is trusted in Christ and has been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If this doesn't describe you, I would encourage you not to come forward. The Apostle Paul says that when you take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, that it heaps judgment upon you. We don't want that. Not at all. What we want, what we desire, is for you to give your life over to Jesus. To say, I need a Savior who will watch over me all the days of my life. And so that when you make that confession and you're baptized, you can come to this table and you can be reminded of God's goodness. Remember that the outer ring is wine, that the inner rings are grape juice and that the bread, the the crackers, if you will, are gluten-free. After I read this passage from 1 Corinthians, I'm going to encourage you to take a moment and pray and thank God for all that He has done for you, for His love for you, and that He cares about you, that He seeks to prosper you in Christ and bless you according to His Word when the kingdom comes in all His fullness. We have a good Lord, a good King, a gracious Savior. Come when you feel led. Take the elements back to your chairs and wait for further instruction. 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26 For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord Himself. On the night when He was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then He broke it in pieces and said, This is My body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, He took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and His people, an agreement confirmed by My blood. Do this in remembrance of Me as often as you drink it. 
For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until He comes again. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank You for this table. We thank You for the encouragement that it means to us, the body and the blood of a greater King David, of a greater Moses. Thank You for saving us. Thank You for blessing us. Thank You for watching over us. Lord, encourage our souls this morning. It's in Your Son's name and for His sake that we pray. Amen.